there, take it or leave it listeners. This is Nick Farrington. What's up, Fernie friends? There you go. Fer- yep, there we go. That's the new one, Fernie friends. Yep, Fernie friends. Yeah, you're also Fernie. We're Fernie. <laughs> and your name is? I'm Ethan. <laughs> this Ethan is Wise. Ethan Wise. <laughs> and we're bringing you the Take It or Leave It podcast. Look, it's the morning. You know, we're doing a morning recording here. Yep. We might be a little silly. Yep, could be. Very Fernie. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are bringing up the topic of organic versus synthetic fertilizers. This is one that we get quite a bit. We'll also touch on slow release fertilizers versus water soluble fertilizers. These are just almost every person I talk to about fertilizing their plants. This comes up. So since we get this question so often, we wanted to cover this topic. Nothing crazy long, just kind of a brief coverage of some of those differences essentially like a pros and cons of each and some of our experiences between my work in commercial growing and landscaping. Ethan, your background in... Yeah, I I would say my, you know, you certainly have more of a commercial knowledge and approach to it. A lot lot of your fertilizer with your landscaping background and being a head grower at a garden center. But yeah, for me, my, my experience comes from mostly home application and trying different things. Although one of my degrees is in turf management. So I I learned on a broader scale as far as golf course application, club application, uh, sports field applications. Sure. That's kind of where a lot of my original knowledge and experience comes from, uh, which is almost primarily synthetic as far as how to apply uh, that and usually in liquid concentration form that is then broadcast spread via water take. But that's a little bit too nerdy than what we need to know. But even though that's where my education comes from, as far as my application goes, I think around my house, I probably tend to use more organic. But anyway, uh, most of my yeah home application. And then now for landscaping in your business as well. Right. And that is is a mixture of both. So what do you want to tackle first? Do you want to do organic or synthetic? I feel like a lot of people would probably be more interested in organic. No, organic's not popular at all. No one cares about organic stuff. We just skip that. Yeah, we should skip organic. Okay. We're just nobody cares. Nobody cares about organic stuff anymore. It's really this is not a healthy topic. Not a big deal. No. So we should only throw that out. We'll only talk about synthetic fertilizers. Okay. Should we talk about (laughs) synthetic fertilizers first? I think first I do want to cover um, some of the common fertilizer terms that people are going to see when they're trying to figure out what they're looking at, uh, whether that be at their independent garden store. All right, Mr. Dictionary. Let's go. So a really common thing that you'll see with any type of fertilizer is NPK. Oh, just and lost a listener. <laughs> Killing me. <laughs> and so the NPK, those three numbers you'll see on either the front or back of the label of a fertilizer, whatever form it's coming, you'll see that series of three numbers. Separated by two hyphens. Right. And so that is the NPK or the nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Okay. And so those are the three main macronutrient groups, essentially, that a plant absolutely has to have to survive. Really briefly, let's just tell people, not to get overly nerdy here, but let's just briefly tell people what those nutrients do. So, uh, oh, just lost another listener. (laughs) (laughs) Nitrogen generally 
foliar growth. Yeah. And of course, Leave, these nutrients, leaves and branches. Right. There's way more application to all these nutrients on a cellular level. But as far as what you would see right. um, using them, nitrogen for foliar or branch growth, phosphorus for floral production, fruit production, root production. Yep. Flowering and blooming and, right. and rooting. And potassium cellular health. So the way I describe potassium on a more general level when I'm talking to people, it's like a cutoff t-shirt or a tank top in summer and a sweater in winter. It helps that cell uh, recover to environmental stressors. Ooh, good example. So there you go. So that's your NPK really quickly. And so those are the main nutrient categories that are going to be advertised on a fertilizer you'd be buying. Every fertilizer. Right. And then there are also micronutrients, which tend to be more way, way, way smaller concentrations. You might see a tiny, tiny percentage or a, a decimal less than a percent. Magnesium, molybdenum, boron, copper, sulfur, copper, right, yes. right, right, right. And those are also important to the plant, but in a much smaller quantity. And what you'll see, no matter what brand you're looking at, even in the same brand's line of products, some might just have that NPK. And none of the micronutrients. And so it can vary depending on what kind of plants you're trying to grow. But generally, we would recommend getting something that has more of that full spectrum of things. So if you're looking at the back of a fertilizer label and you only see those three categories and not a breakdown of smaller percentages of some of those other metals and, and nutrients, usually we'd recommend getting the more complete option. Right. And again, that can apply to organic or synthetic both. Right. So also a couple other big categories that you'll see, again, doesn't matter whether it's uh, organic or synthetic, is a slow release fertilizer or a water soluble fertilizer. And so a slow release is going to be granular. Yeah, generally granular, whether that's the little balls that you'll see on top of soil sometimes, or if it's an organic, it tends to be more like pulverized yeah. kind of crunchy material. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so those, depending on water, humidity, temperature, those kind of things, that will affect that fertilizer slowly releasing its nutrient concentration into the soil for your plant. Whereas a water soluble usually almost looks like the texture of sugar, but usually has a color to it. Like blue is very common. Um, miracle Grow is a common one. You see that in Jack's, any of those brands. Mm -hmm. And those, you're taking this powder and you're dissolving it into water to dilute it right. before you water your plant with the diluted solution. Right. So those are those two big categories. And again, you find that both with organic or synthetic. Mm -hmm. Really just depends Every on once in a while you might have, that's like super niche but every once in a while you'll find like a liquid, like fish emulsion. Fish emulsion is likely going to come in a liquid concentrate that then you would dilute furthermore in water. Yeah. But most often a water soluble is, like you said, a powder. Sure. So those are kind of some of the breakdowns that you'll see between these two categories that we're covering, the organic fertilizers and the synthetic fertilizers that apply to both. And there's that distinction for when you're deciding what product you might want to use. So do we want to get into synthetics first? Yeah, let's do synthetic first. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, with synthetics, like you said, you already kind of touched on one of the things. I have a little list here. Uh, sure. My little pros and cons of synthetic and organic here that I'm using to kind of jot down. Yeah, we can even do them side by side then if you want. Yeah, sure. There we go. Um, but me first. So 
Uh, what you talked about. So yeah, I have here uh, rapid absorption if liquid. And so what that really, uh, and you're talking synthetic. synthetics first. Cool. And so like you said, whether you are using um, a granular, although I don't think there's any off the top of my head, I can't think of a synthetic fertilizer that you're going to find in a liquid concentrate already. It's pretty much always liquid? going. Yeah, it's almost always going to be a powder um, form, don't you think? Miracle Grow has quite a few. That's like a pump that you can pump into your watering can. Um, but that probably came from a powder, don't you think? Sure, but they're not buying it as a powder. True. The the homeowner, whoever yeah. is buying it over the counter, is already yeah. buying it in a liquid form. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, so anyway, so yeah, with your synthetics, if you were using a liquid application, mm-hmm. um, that it tends to lead to more rapid absorption from the plants. Yeah. It has immediate access to those nutrients because it is bound in water that is going to be absorbed by the roots, especially if it's moderately dry, yeah. you know, so you you get that very quick, immediate site. So that's why you tend to see it used in a golf course or a, a football field or a baseball field is you want that nice, thick, lush, deep green lawn in those sort of situations. This is kind of what's expected at a field. They expect to have a thick, lush turf. Or a lot of people use it on their annuals to get that, you know, green up your plants and get them to bloom right away. Right. Because synthetics, in general, the nutrients are more readily available to the plants because they're salt-based. It's a quicker delivery system. You don't have to have any microbial or fungi action in the soil environment to make those nutrients available to the plant. They're just readily available to be absorbed by the roots. So then the other side of that, though, the flip side of that, the con, is because it is liquid and usually pretty high, it's not uncommon for a liquid synthetic fertilizer to have a higher content, like over 20% nitrogen or over 15% phosphorus, over 10% potassium. The problem with that is that's a lot of those nutrients and not all of that is going to be absorbed by the plant. So a con of synthetic being more readily available and attached to the water in a higher concentration is it might not all be available to that plant. So you have runoff, you know, and that's a totally separate topic that might be another episode, you know. Or you can also get those salts to build up in the soil to a level that is, one, your plant isn't using it, and two, it's staying in the soil, so that can be detrimental to those plants. And the salts you're referring to are salts that are actually binding those nutrients in that form. So they often use salts in synthetic fertilizers to hold it together and then to help it be released upon contact with the soil and the water. So that would be a con there. But another thing, you know, it's it's essentially easier to over apply. Yes. And so while you can see quick results, if applied correctly, you could also see bad results if applied incorrectly. Also very quickly, if you over apply a synthetic fertilizer, especially a liquid one, you will see burning on that plant Mm -hmm. probably within 24 to 48 hours. Sure. And that could be pretty hard to recover from. Yeah. So always read your label. Or especially on your house plants that can have even uh, more sensitive to it, certain varieties. Exactly. And then my favorite form of synthetic, like if I'm going to use a synthetic fertilizer, is a granular form. Sure. And one of those being Osmocote. And I know you and I both are pro-Osmocote. And that, um, and again, that's a slow release. 
yes. variety. Yeah, yeah, granular that is time released, whether you buy a three month or a six month or whatever amount of month release in there. Mm-hmm. And it's got a coating around it, it's usually in those little balls, got a coating around it. And that coating slowly dissolves over time, further releasing more. It's like a jawbreaker. You know, it's like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a little <laughs> miniature jawbreaker that just over time, a layer and a layer and a layer get dissolved, releasing X amount of fertilizer with every layer dissolving. Mm-hmm. I have uh, my pro ish, which we kind of touched on with synthetics, mm-hmm. uh, my pro ish category. And that's that you can have a higher nutrient content. Yeah, true. And that kind of just like lumps into what we already talked about is like, well, you can get a high nutrient content. That can also be a problem if you do not know how you are applying or if you are over applying. Mm-hmm. So just also something to be conscientious of. Yeah, you wouldn't want to put your 20-20-20 general purpose fertilizer on your Six cact- times a year. <laughs> oh, or on your cactus. I thought you were going to say on your cat. Plant. <laughs> <laughs> on your cat. <laughs> right. Don't do that. It's not how cats live. But yeah, you know, something like a cactus that wants a very low nutrient concentration, if you put that on or even a full strength fertilizer on some of your houseplants, you can definitely overdo, mm-hmm. especially with the synthetics. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, my, my cons were already kind of talked about excessive salt buildup in the soil with the synthetic application. So just something to be conscientious of. So and then also, yeah, the possibility of over fertilizing and burning mm-hmm. um, of that plant is is something that likely aren't going to have to worry about with an organic fertilizer sure but as far as synthetic you know i'm not on the bandwagon of anti-synthetics and i'm very happy that organics are making bigger strides and they're way more available than they used to be at garden centers but i do think that there is a time and a place for synthetic as well and as far as Mm -hmm. my own gardening goes for my personal as well as what i do for people doing landscape installations i am using a combination of both and we can always kind of touch base on that if we have enough time um, in this episode about how to kind of uh, create a harmony between the utilization of, of both organic and synthetic yeah so let's get into some of the pros and cons then of organic and then we can kind of circle back to your reasoning essentially for using a mix of both uh, in both your personal and for landscape. Well, I mean, as far as, you know, do you have anything to add for your synthetic? Because you you use Osmocote a lot, almost exclusively for your landscape installations. Yeah, for landscape as the main fertilizer, I definitely do use a slow release like an Osmocote. I tend to specifically use Osmocote. And my pros for something like that is because you have that very specific time release. Uh, if it's early spring, I can use an X month of fertilizer. If I'm doing an installation later in summer, I can use one that's shorter so that I know these plants aren't going to be getting juiced up with fertilizer. At the end of November. It, right, into winter. It's just a much more stable release. You know, the client isn't having to go out and mix up individual watering cans with a water-soluble fertilizer and individually water their plants. I mean, if we do an install that has 100 plants or if you have 50 house plants at home, do you want to have to mix up fertilizer every week, every other week, whatever, depending on what you have? Yes. Just to <laughs> just to fertilize your plants or would you rather sprinkle on a granular and do it once per season and that's it? And be done. Right. So the slow release, again, whether that's organic or synthetic, is just much, it's so much less work for sure. everybody involved. But then as far as organics, 
and bouncing off of what you said as far as concentrations, generally you're going to see a lower concentration of the NPK. Um, micros can definitely be similar, but the NPK is generally lower. And that's because you you really can't get that high rate with something that's going to break down naturally. Usually like an organic, like a high level organic fertilizer is maybe going to be like a 10, 5, 6 or something yeah, like you that. you might have like your three macronutrients, the NPK, you're maybe going to have 10% or less, essentially. Right. It's going to be very hard to go over 10%, usually single digit numbers for that NPK. Right. And so with those organics, again, to touch on some of these soil health related things, with that lower concentration, while that is a factor, usually those products also contain a lot of really great other additives like beneficial bacteria and fungi propagules that essentially like mycorrhiza mm-hmm, which then have a symbiotic relationship with the roots of that plant in the soil that helps with breaking down nutrient availability whether that's the fertilizer that you applied other organic matter that's available in the soil naturally, or if you've added a compost, for example, as that breaks down, Mm -hmm. they can break it down even further, making it readily available to that plant. Helps with drought resistance for the plant because of that relationship and all that, which we'll get into that in a later episode. But so even though the nutrient availability on your package might seem lower, there's a lot more it's going on the package. right than than just sprinkling a synthetic on and not having to do anything for for the rest of the year there's you're other... not going to get mycorrhiza in your osmoco no <laughs> yeah. right so it's helping to establish a nice kind of soil biome going on with that plant so it's not quite apples to apples when you're just looking at a label and saying like well if this is a 555 organic and why wouldn't I buy this 202020 right. right of a synthetic or whatever so there there's kind of more going on and it's a little more in depth with the organic but short game versus long game exactly exactly so i know for us generally if it's something you're going to be eating we tend to recommend the organics but if it's your house plant or your petunias you know you could definitely go either way right. um and that's what I do. I mean, my, in my garden, my vegetables and my herbs and my fruits, I have biotone and or holly tone or tomato tone, usually in a spoma product. I just tend to like them, uh, which is a granular, organic, OMRI listed. And so I'm using those, but I certainly have to apply them a little bit stronger to get what I am expecting or what I would like to get out of my plants. Sure. Uh, Whereas, you know, my... If you're trying to get your pot of petunias to be crazy covered in blooms all the time, that could be a situation where you'd want to use a synthetic because if you're trying to make something flower and look good, generally a synthetic application is going to get you there quicker, especially something that's short term, like like an annual booster mixed with some osmocote in the soil as well. And that's tends to be what I will do. So I mix both upon my house, depending on what I expect to get out of that. Right. You know, or my new perennial that I'm putting in the soil, whether it's my perennial grass or an iris, I'm going to sprinkle some osmocote on there. Sure. But probably in conjunction with a little bit of biotone, which is like a, a root stimulator because of that mycorrhiza. 
Yeah. So again, the main thing is kind of knowing what you're trying to get out of that plant. If it's a veggie that you're going to be eating, that's a different scenario. You maybe want to go more towards the organic. If you're trying to get flower production out of your annuals and you just want it to look nice and it's in a pot on your porch and it's not even in the ground to begin with, that's always a great application for synthetics. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, whether that's a water soluble or a slow release. So yeah, so kind of really just looking at what you're trying to get out of that plant can help you decide. We don't necessarily say, ooh, all organics or ooh, all synthetics, uh, all in on one or the other. It really is kind of application-based. And with organics too, just something to always know if you if you go that route, it could take time before you start to see the results. Yep. And that's okay. It's like working out. You know, it's just, it's going to take time before you start to see those results. You're not just going to, you can't just like, I guess I'm talking about myself here. I can't just like run one mile and be like, why did I not lose 45 pounds? You know, this is ridiculous. You know, and that's applying organic fertilizer. It could take several years of buildup and applying other things mixed with organic fertilizer. You're going to have to apply other organic material into your soil, like compost or manure or organic garden soil, you're going to have to help build that soil up Mm -hmm. to create a healthy environment for the organic microbial life that you are putting into the soil via organic fertilizer. It's going to take time to really build up that soil chemistry. Particularly specific to growing in the ground. Correct. Uh, You could get a decent result in container gardening, Right. In, in a season. But, Absolutely. But if you're if you're looking at long term in the ground landscape or veggie garden. Yes, that does. You have to take build, build that up. up over several years. Mm-hmm. So just something to keep in mind, you know, if soil health is something that you are interested in, you've just know that you can't just scrape the sod off of this east side of your house and put some plants in it now and sprinkle with some organic fertilizer and till in some compost and right, be done. you know an inch or two of compost and think that you now have healthy soil like it takes there's much more in-depth process into creating that so just something to be aware of yeah and so speaking of doing things in the landscape or for your lawn veggie garden anything like that that's in the ground I know you always say that uh, you never want to blindly apply a product if you think you have a problem or if you think you need to boost up your plants, especially if it's over a large area. And so for that purpose, we usually recommend just getting a soil test done. Right. You know, and it's probably I talk to a lot of uh, specifically homeowners where I'll ask them, you know, they're, we're talking about what might be going wrong with their plant or they're noticing a decline. I'll say, when was the last time you fertilized her? Or when, when was the last time you applied a fertilizer? And more often than not, I am applied with a, Ooh, um, I don't know. Maybe sometime before COVID. Right, <laughs> right. right. You know, it's, it's, I think a lot of times people don't always think that that's the case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, plants are very good at creating their own food. That's why they're a plant. Uh, it's one of the things that characterizes a plant is being able to make your own food. But in, yeah, none of this NPK stuff matters if there's no sun. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> but it is something that I do hear regularly uh, where people just like, oh, I don't know when the last time I applied a fertilizer was. If that's you, you might not need to do a soil test. However, if you are the type of person that is a very regular fertilizer, 
um, whether it's in a garden bed or on your lawn, and you're starting to notice something wrong with your plant, and it's not easily discernible that it is a fungus or a pest Mm -hmm. that is addressing it. My recommendation is always get a soil test before you just go and blindly apply a fertilizer because you could have an excessive buildup of a particular nutrient that is actually what's causing the harm because when you have certain nutrients that are over applied, it can actually inhibit the absorption of other nutrients that could be available in the soil. Your plant just can't absorb it because of an overabundance of one nutrient or even potentially the soil pH. So a soil test is very nice. Usually you're going to go to an independent garden center, talk to a horticulturist or a university extension office. Exactly. That has a hort program. In Illinois, we have University of Illinois. They have extension offices all over that. That's a service. They pricing varies, but yeah, you can call around and usually find options for that. At like a box store or even some garden centers, you'll find like little soil sample test kits, Mm -hmm. uh, like a little tube with like litmus paper or something in there. Uh, But usually that only tests nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Yeah. Sometimes soil pH. pH. Yeah. Right. So not anything that you can really gauge too much on because you might have an overabundance of zinc or no magnesium in your soil. And those are things that you have to address. Yeah. So another good example, say you have a maple tree in your front yard and you're noticing like, oh, these these leaves are looking kind of they're not very dark and healthy looking. They're They're yellowing between the veins. Yeah. Like things, you know, looks like, say, like iron chlorosis when those leaves get that light kind of chartreuse green between the veins. A lot of people think, oh, I'll just apply or could get the advice from someone. Oh, just apply, you know, an iron supplement to the soil. Well, If the pH isn't right for that tree, the iron might not be properly absorbed anyway. And that iron could be present already in your soil, but you wouldn't know. And it could be a pH problem and not a nutrient problem. You might go into it thinking it's iron chlorosis and it turns out to be zinc chlorosis. Right. You know, so just which has a very similar look to it. So, yeah, soil analysis tests can be your friend um, and just can be a wealth of information that you just didn't even know existed. So it's a whole chemistry experiment underneath your feet. (laughs) Um, And to blindly apply something to that without knowing what's really going on there could actually inhibit you versus help you. Yeah. So I think that pretty much wraps up our comparison between organic and synthetic. Yeah, I would say like just to kind of finish it up, you know, where I land is I do like the idea of using more organic. Mm -hmm. But I also know that sometimes I just don't have the where I am in my life currently. I don't have the time to just really go head over heels and only using organic Mm -hmm, because it will take time. Mm -hmm. So where I'm at is personal organic and synthetic use. Especially since you do a lot of container plantings, you have a lot of house plants that are are for ornamental decorative use only. Yeah. My container, my, my floral arrangements, my annual floral arrangements and my house plants usually get us a form of synthetic. My edible plants, I would say almost always only get organic, Mm -hmm. but it's been an experiment learning that over the years of how to apply the organic because I have had failed crop by only using organic Mm. because I wasn't applying it heavily enough. Sure. So just something to keep up. And then as far as what I do 
professionally as a landscape installation expert, I will use biotone at the bottom of the hole, making direct contact. So that's something to keep in mind. Which you said before is kind of a root simulator, but also contains those beneficial fungal and microbial propagules. And that root stimulation is really kind of a... It's not quite exactly the same. It's not like using a synthetic root stimulator sure. that has that IB3, oh shoot. Indolbutyric acid. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Three, right? Is yep. it like, yeah. So whereas a specific synthetic version of a growth hormone that is mm-hmm. produced by a plant, the biotone organic version of something like that usually you're getting that root stimulation coming from the symbiotic relationship that is happening from the mycorrhiza, which is a fungus, attaching itself to the root system, and that mycelium that comes off of that almost in a way acting like an additional root system to that plant. Even Mm -hmm. though it's not boosting the root growth of that plant per se, it is helping those roots acquire more nutrients through this symbiotic relationship. Right. So I love that and I didn't want to get too nerdy there. That's really hard for me to not like get really <laughs> nerdy there. It's like, Ethan, you're, I can see you like tucking away that box. Like, <laughs> Ethan, don't you dare step on that box again. Start talking about plants or whatever. So anyway, I like to use a combination of both. So I will yeah. use mycorrhiza or biotone in the hole, making direct contact with the root system of a new plant. And then as I'm backfilling soil around that i'll sprinkle a little bit of osmocote simply for that long term uh you know that mycorrhiza and that organic fertilizer helping the soil a little bit helping the plant and then that osmocote for just that nice slow release of nutrients that'll kind of help that plant also further get established so i believe that there is definitely a way to have a harmony between both organic and synthetic so that's my little spiel yeah definitely Anything else you got to add? I think that's everything on my list. All right. Well, we had another nice quick episode here for you. As always, please feel free to reach out to us at our email at show at take it or leave it pod.com. If you have any questions on fertilizers, anything more in depth, and believe me, Nick and I have a lot of fertilizer experience. We could talk about it for two hours for sure. This is just the... Abridged the, the quick and version. dirty version. Right. Yeah. We really summarize some things here. But if you want something a little bit more in depth answered for you, fertilizer wise, please feel free to reach out to us at our email. Uh, you can also send us a question on the post when we link this to our social media accounts. Mm-hmm. Always feel free in the comments to ask any questions there. Facebook be, or Instagram. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Happy pod. to respond to you on there, whether it is Nick or myself. And uh, yeah, that kind of wraps it up. Yeah. Perfect. All right. That's everything for the organic versus synthetic fertilizer episode. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Yep. This has been the Take It Or Leave It podcast. I'm Nick Farringdon. And I'm Nick Farringdon. Yep. Yes, you are. (laughs) Two of us here. I made a clone of myself and just changed the voice. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Goodbye. (laughs)